Welcome to Have You Seen This, the world's only podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten visual media. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. Jen's like, oh, no, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah, I'm just going to do it right here because we're already on mic, so, you know. Yeah. Um. Okay. Three, two. Welcome to Have You Seen This? It's Jen. And Tim. And this week we have someone pinch hitting. Uh, we had a guest for the end of the month. But they died. But, uh, they died suddenly. It's spooky season. It's Halloween. Yeah, it's Halloween. They, they were turned into a ghost. Their skeleton, so, we tried to interview them, but there's just teeth rattling. <laughs> it's really hard to talk to a skeleton i've found yeah i know it's just <laughs> nothing it's just clickety clack clickety clack yeah. clickety clack you guys clickety clack yeah and all 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 their commentary was just it was really uh forced puns uh <laughs> trying to wedge you know spooky words into normal phrases it, it got tiresome I got, yeah, you know so. that, that you don't appreciate that bone dry humor <laughs> damn you mike <laughs> Yeah, so we obviously got a comparable guest. Um, yeah, a, it yeah, is, a better guest. It is your friend and mine, Mike Rosen. That's Bitter Corella on Twitter. Uh, one of our favorite guests because he's on all the goddamn time. Mike, thank yeah. you for coming on. Thank you thank for you having for me. Being, thank you for being second choice. <laughs> a distant second choice. but It's perfect for you. a podcast. Well, you know yeah. what? Two is a bigger number than one, so I, I'll take it. Yeah, and one's the loneliest number, so you don't want to... Yeah, that's you right. Wanna, you don't ever want to do that. Oh, yeah, fuck that uh, shit. Yeah, and we'll try to make this quick, because I'm sure you have another podcast to guest on in a couple of minutes. <laughs> well, I am very popular. H- hence why we have you on so often. Everyone loves to have me on, too, so that I can so that I can say this. I could go, uh, 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 yeah. <laughs> you, that is the kind of rapier wit that we have come to expect the, the, from yeah. Mike, and that's why we have him on tonight talking about what are we talking about, you guys? Uh, we're talking about just another vampire movie. We're talking, I want to say, if you played Vampire's Kiss straight, I think that you would get this episode's movie. Oh, yeah. It, it kind of is the melancholy other side of vampire's kiss in a way yeah if you took vampire's kiss and just like played it legit if it was like an indie movie version of it because this the movie's from 76 77 but it um but it plays like an indie movie it's it's like uh i don't know it is it was made for a hundred thousand dollars well there there you go yeah it it it's not twilight but it does um sort of re-examine the vampire mythos mythology it's uh it's george romero's martin does nicholas cage kill anyone in vampire's kiss i can't remember uh you're speaking into a coffee can mike but yes uh he does kill a party goer uh at a club and like the climax of the movie okay ah all right so he so um so there are there are some deaths then okay cool yes um because martin martin's got a pretty good kill rate in this i think 
Yeah, it's he's uh surprisingly prolific for just like this this sad little wiener kid. Like we we meet him, he's on a, a train into Pittsburgh, which already you know that doesn't bode well for him. Depressed yet? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, just like meeting with him, like he's he's just like this. Uh, I don't. I mean, I don't know what the word you would have used at the time, but I mean, the best way to describe him now is he's just kind of this incel. He's just kind of this like pathetic kind of do nothing twerp it's interesting because the the movie right up front presents its main character as i would say fairly unsympathetic uh because he selects a victim and oh right he murders um, a stranger after raping her yeah sexually assaults and murders a stranger so that's wild right but interestingly as the movie goes on you start to feel bad for the guy um, because this is a person trapped by his circumstances and when uh, one movie that it reminded me of is, um, I don't know if either of you have seen the sequel to Psycho Psycho 2 Electric I've, Boogaloo I've not um, not Psycho bad. 2 Psycho Harder it's, uh, <laughs> it's I, um, I mean Anthony Perkins is always good and you know of course there's Meg Tilly, which, well, that's for me. But <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, um, I, there are a couple things I like about Meg Tilly. No, the interesting thing about Psycho Two is that you start to feel sorry for Norman Bates, <laughs> and yeah, living in his mother's shadow this whole time. Well, it it presents him as like someone who's trying to reintegrate into his community and is like you know obviously stigmatized. And Anthony Perkins is so sympathetic in the role that you're like oh my god like i literally i'm this is like feeling bad for for ed gein but <laughs> martin kind of does the same thing where you really start to empathize with martin whether or not he's a vampire or merely a serial killer the movie leaves it pretty ambiguous <laughs> merely a serial killer and that yeah, that's the yeah. thing that i really gravitate towards about uh, towards this movie about is that it takes something that has been you know this mythological creature you know for centuries and you know it updates him to the 70s it it takes away like all the all the supernatural elements all the you know magical components and it just says you know in a society what what would a vampire look like without any of the like magical stuff around it and and the movie takes pains to um uh to establish that idea as well like we have you know martin goes to live with um his uncle or cousin i forget um it, it an old white guy and and by white i mean the guy dresses all in white but like he he goes to live a man from the old country. a man from the old country yeah and like he and when he goes to live with them you know the old old guy establishes the rules like you know he's He's, uh, you know, holds up a, a cross. He, you know, hangs garlic on the door. He's got all the supernatural things about how you deal with a vampire. He lays down, you know, the 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 rules about, you know, living in this house. Like, you know, you aren't gonna talk to my daughter, uh, or you know, you aren't going to kill anyone in the city because, you know, I know that you're a Nosferatu, and if um if you know, I'm here to redeem you, but if you know, I don't redeem you, then I'm going to destroy you. He's like, you know, I'm, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to stake you, basically. But all the um, all the superstitions are useless against him. Uh, you know, like he, he 
presses the cross up against his face. Nothing happens. He takes a bite of the garlic. Nothing happens. He's like, you don't understand. You know, I'm not your, you know, mythological vampire. I'm just a guy who kills people and drinks their blood. Which I, which I love it as it's such a great deconstruction of a vampire in, you know, for a modern setting. Now, Mike, had you seen this movie before? I had never seen uh, this movie before. Um, I'd heard the name, uh, but I think I kept getting it mixed up with the sequel to Willard for some reason. <laughs> ben, Martin, same thing. I yeah, mean, yeah. you know, uh, all movies that are just a name, they're very confusing. It's, well, it's kind of um, tough to get a grasp of it, too. Oh, these these mononymic uh, heroes. I just I just can't with them. But um, I mean, you know how it is. You see the the title of the movie, and you just feel like I don't know what I'm getting. Right. Um, yeah, light. I do what like is that, that it is. About? Yeah, <laughs> I do like uh, kind of like uh, like Tim said uh, that this is kind of a deconstruction of the the vampire thing in the sense that every serial killer who is dubbed the vampire of whatever city. Because, mm-hmm. like, you know, every city's got one. I think there's, like, the Vampire of Sacramento. There's the Vampire of Dusseldorf. There, there's a bunch of them. But they always kind of have this trajectory where it's, like, you know, they they love raping and murdering and they will drink blood, too. And it's, it's basically what Martin is, is doing this whole time. So it's it feels, um, I won't say it's, like, it's not, not that it's historically accurate, but uh, but it feels, like, torn from the headlines. This could be a real, this could be a true story. Yeah, if you take all the mythological stuff out of it, you just have you know this kind of weird killer that maybe you're uh, you know lacking the uh, vocabulary to describe, other than you know just being like, well, you know, if it walks like a duck, if it quacks like a duck, you know, it it kills people yeah. and drinks their blood, QED vampire. But it's like no, it's just a, it's a a weird kid who has like sexual hangups and can only sort of satisfy his uh you know sinister urges by you know killing people and drinking their blood usually women but you know he seems open-minded to just you know drinking the blood of uh whoever he comes across well because right up right up front with the the extended sequence on the train you realize like oh this is a a young heterosexual man who like a lot of other young heterosexual men has difficulty relating to women in a normal context. <laughs> Please, for... Jen, I'm not that young. <laughs> <laughs> I told you, Tim, I knew you would like this movie. Right, yeah. Um... <laughs> I, you no, know, but, he's, um... as, he's as sympathetic as, you know, Tyler Durden or Rorschach. You know, you really identify with him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, to be clear, like a lot of young heterosexual men, you know, yes, his trouble relating to women, and I think normally for, for most of us who have anxieties about the opposite sex or the same sex or whatever sex you choose uh it's something which you generally can overcome a bit with age and maturity and experience but um the way that martin lives his life he's kind of obliged to go through this elaborate ritual to meet his needs his needs being his needs not just being hunger but also sex yeah he has a pathological approach to you know human relations yeah, and he makes that pretty explicit when he's talking to the radio DJ and saying, like, you know, I've never done it. I've never done the sexy stuff while the girl was awake. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> he has you know, performance issues, but he's finding ways to work through them. 
what <laughs> I I feel like we haven't really even gotten past uh, the the first scene because the first scene really does encapsulate you know the entirety of the movie and one of the the great things about it one of the things that I like is that even when he's um he, because his modus operandi is to in- inject the person with you know like a sedative to you know knock them out and then he can you know play with them to his heart's content and then bleed them dry um but even when he's trying to subdue this woman in the uh in the train car she's like more more like irritated than scared yeah <laughs> yeah i noticed that yeah. um, she's very pissed yeah she's yeah, just she's like, like fed up like what does she call him she calls him like a twerp or something you know um yeah the- just she's just like insulting this guy it's like this guy could is wants to rape and could kill you but she's just like oh come the fuck on yeah yeah i like it because it's a very um if it feels like a very like organic representation of what might happen with a victim because victims don't act in the same way every time right and you know kind of the the kind of the trope with female victims in i think like after the the second world war is um you know especially in the 50s the women were obliged to just faint so as to be easy for the monsters to carry um but you know this is a this is a pretty realistic depiction of someone like fighting back against an assailant and you know just probably spitting with rage like she's like you you fucking creep rapist or whatever she calls him and then then you're confronted with um Martin's reaction to that, where he's trying to assure assure her, like you know, I'm really careful with the needles. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm not gonna hurt you. And whenever you're confronted in a in a film or a story with a you know an attacker, an assailant, or a monster that is expressing empathy for his victim, it's it's very unsettling. Right. It, yeah. 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 It's like I, I'm not gonna hurt you. I'm just gonna kill you. <laughs> it won't hurt Annie. Uh, the the other thing, the other neat trope that is established in this first scene is that you know he kind of pauses a moment before breaking into a room, and he has this sort of um, fantasy version of how it's going to play out, where it's like you know he and it's all presented in you know stylish black and white. You know it's very rem- reminiscent of classic films, where you know he sees himself you know bust in in his puffy shirt and she you know turns around dramatically in her nightgown and you know that that's the way that it's going to play out like he has this sort of you know fantasy about what sort of creature he is like he has this sort of inflated um uh, idea of what he's doing like it it is this romanticized version of what he thinks he's doing and then it turns into you know there's a woman who gets out of the bathroom and she's got like you know her, her face cream on and then you know they mm-hmm. they wrestle around and she calls him a, a, a jerk and a loser and then eventually like he you know gets his way but like it just goes off in like this most embarrassing fashion not at all like yeah, what you and, want I and mean, that is a theme for the whole film every single kill he does pretty much just goes yeah. south immediately i mean he's always the thing is he's always successful but it's always like an embarrassing <laughs> struggle uh with all sorts of bloopers yeah, as it happens good at it. so yeah, and as t- t- Tim mentioned right off the bat that this is um, a reimagining of the vampire myth, and it strips it of the mythology. It also strips it of its kind of gothic romantic trappings, because the vampire is 
invariably like a very a very sexual uh mythological monster and the i think the apotheosis of that on film is probably um francis ford coppola's dracula oh yeah which really emphasizes the lushness and the sexuality and romance of the dracula story and in martin it's the complete opposite yeah you're in a very drab everyday world this was shot on on a specific reversal stock so all the color is extremely desaturated it's in the shittiest parts of wherever the fuck this is i think pittsburgh um, braddock pennsylvania which seems oh, like a, even a chill worse place. yeah <laughs> um it it's it's vampirism with the sexual aspect but completely drained of romance yeah it's like if this guy had a girlfriend if he was like as cool as he imagined himself to be like he probably wouldn't be doing any of this yeah he'd just be some guy hanging out but like that's the the great thing too about you know sort of the um commentary on it and you know to like jump to the to the end of the movie when he's just like kind of wandering around in this parade he's kind of this um this outcast figure you know this uh he's he's like present but he's invisible like people don't pay attention to him you know in the same way that like you know you wouldn't uh you know notice you know like your your beta cuck sigma because like you know he's he's not a you know a a charming outgoing chad type character he's just this kind of you know loser dork meandering around in the background but in the same way that's you can kind of make that case for a vampire too like he's you know this reclusive character who you know sneaks out takes advantage of people ruins people's lives and then you know disappears back to the you know bridge that he lives under <laughs> but you know as much of a we we keep saying that martin's such a loser but he is successful every time that he goes out to rape and kill someone yeah. so you know he's a uh yeah a, a sig- sigma like you said is the best way to describe him he's going his own way yeah. he defines his own success yeah. yeah and the thing that i also think is interesting about his character is that he's yeah, he is a vampire, but I mean, also in a ways like, yeah, I drink people's blood. But that's not really what I'm about, you know. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> doesn't let it define him. Like, he doesn't lean into it. Uh, there's a scene of him, um, uh, like sort of mocking his, um, you know, his his uncle cousin, you know, the old guy in white. Where like, you know, he he dresses up like Dracula and he puts in the uh, fake teeth and he chases them around because <laughs> that's like the old guy's perception of what a vampire is. It's like, yeah, this is what you want, right? It's, you know, sort yeah. of the, are you not entertained, you know, scene of this movie where it's like, no, like I'm just a guy who kills people and drinks their blood. You know, I'm trying to, trying to find it's, my way here, man. <laughs> it's funny because in vampires kiss, there's also an extended bit where uh, Nicholas Cage's character procures some very cheesy looking vampire teeth yeah it's like i don't know it's sort of imposter syndrome on being a vampire it's like i don't get it like i'm i'm killing people but like i'm not cool like when do i get (laughs) to be cool for killing all these people and it's also interesting too because (laughs) it's also interesting how um if you compare this to vampire's kiss because in that movie the themes of misogyny are just so inextricably woven throughout the movie um it is really a pretty explicit motivator of nicholas cage's character yeah i mean the women are you know their food basically yeah and if you take a look at it martin it's 
not you, you know it isn't it you know like leaving aside the 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 you know the practice of you know raping women while they're knocked out which you know i i, I guess you could call that misogynist if you really want to be a stickler about it I but um I mean... he doesn't seem to be motivated by hatred of women the way that a um you know a, va- a fake vampire like peter lowe or like a serial killer might be it's this need that he is obliged to meet in kind of a maladaptive way right yeah Um, it's in the i would say that like being a serial killer is is like that in that it is this um uh yeah it's this pathology that needs to be met in that he's i i I get a sense in the movie that it's like he's trying to be a normal person but he's like yeah i also have this like need to kill like, because, mm-hmm. I mean, he has other interests. I mean, you know, he has, like, kind of this, you know, delivery boy bullshit job. And he has <laughs> kind of an interest in, you know, magic and, like, the debunking thereof. Like, stage, stage magic, not magic with a K. But, um, although I guess that fits, too. I mean, he's an incel, but, like, at least he's not a close-up magician. Right, yeah. <laughs> you can always be worse. Uh, Those people are freaks. Yeah, but, I mean, he's, uh, yeah, so so he isn't, like... He isn't reveling in being a vampire. It's just he it's this thing that prevents him from kind of leading a normal life. It's the thing that, you know, makes him a pariah. It's this, you know, cross he has to bear, even though, you know, he's not not negatively affected by crosses. So Yeah. Well, I think it's kind <laughs> yeah, and- of um interesting because in this movie, um what's his name? The the uncle cousin gives us kind of the history of the family. And this is a family that from the old world and they clearly believe or old country and they clearly believe in vampires. They think there's a family curse that certain like vampires will surface in the family bloodline every so often. And Martin has been singled out as one of these vampires. So it almost makes you wonder, like, how much of that is like a self-fulfilling prophecy? Just the family's like, okay, Martin, you're the vampire. He's like, all right, I guess I got to do the blood. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And that's uh, that's the thing that the... um uh cousin sister daughter i really should pay closer attention to this uh she's the um christina is the the granddaughter of tata kuda who is the the old man who is obliged to house martin yeah Uh, martin is his distant cousin yeah so she she has kind of the uh prescriptive approach to this which is like look he only acts this way because you tell him this is the way he is it's kind of like you know you tell a bad kid that they're going to be a fuck up and you know surprise they yeah. they kind of end up you know being that thing that you accuse them of being. Well, I th- yeah, and this movie is kind of interesting in that it also seems to be reflecting um, certainly a, a cultural attitude which had started in in the '60s and you know was still the case in in the '70s because there was still a lot of um, societal upheaval with you know vietnam and second wave feminism and all that there's like a huge generational divide in this movie where the young pe- the younger people i mean martin being quote unquote young even though he claims to be 84 years old but yeah. you see young people really chafing against kind of the practices of the the older generation um yeah, and there like, is like, a, like a briefly there's just like a toss-off line where you know it is it, tonto whatever and he's talking to um, you know, the uh, the daughter cousin. I already left my Christina. Christina. Christina's kind of shitty boyfriend. Yeah, kind of shitty boyfriend. And you know, and 
it's like, ah, oh, you know, kids these days don't want to work. It's like, oh, that sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And it's like, like, do you really think that there's fulfilling work for an intelligent, capable person in the shit town? Because it, it is a shit town. Yeah, like, the only <laughs> yeah. thing that I know of, of the city is that they had a parade and there's a wrecking yard. Like yeah, no offense to our listeners from Braddock, Pennsylvania. It's Pennsylvania. It's shit. Yeah. Um, I do like the bit, though, where Christina, who kind of represents, you know, this modern way of thinking uh, with, you know, a, you know, the Tantacuda being the old superstitious ways. And she's like, no, nah, she's a practical young person. And she's talking to Martin and she's just saying, like, you, you know, you, you shouldn't have to, you know, be uh, treated like this. You could be in a hospital or a home. And she just says it right to his face. Like, like, that would be great. Don't you agree, Martin? It's just such a weird thing, but again, uh, that that is probably the way most people treat, um, you know, someone who they uh, appears to have some sort of mental illness. I guess I, I don't know that she knows what Martin's well. It would have been at deal least, is. you know a modern um, approach rather than be like, "Hey, uh, Tanakuda is going to invite some priests over, and we're going to have a kind of bullshit, goofy exorcism." Yeah. That you aren't going to well, believe him. Th- I mean, that's the thing is, does anyone... Because the thing is, Martin does his stuff alone. No one sees him do it. No one catches mm-hmm. him killing people. Uh, so you have to wonder, like, what Christina actually thinks is going on. Because she seems to think that, like, oh, yeah, everyone just treats Martin like he's a vampire because they're nuts. But she doesn't seem to think... And she seems to think Martin has something wrong with him. But it seems to be more just like, he's really awkward. He can't talk to people. Uh, clearly, you know, so he should be in a home. But I don't think she really thinks he goes out and drinks blood. Yeah, because the way that Martin appears, especially toward the beginning of the film, is that, I mean, he almost seems to have, like, a selective mutism at time. Like, he's often unable to uh, speak to people or or look them in the eye or whatever. Um, and I'll leave it to YouTube essayists to say that he's autistic-coded or whatever. But um, no, I, I mean, I'm just going to leave him as an incel. Like he's he's just shy and awkward. <laughs> well, yeah, because like um, uh, this you is know, um... it's like you could read it. You could read it that way. But um, it, it's enough to say that Martin is someone who is isolated and stigmatized with within his family. And, you know, that's the experience of a lot of people with um, on the spectrum mental health afflictions or. Or whatever. Yeah. Like, yeah, it doesn't even have to be that specific. It's like anybody who's felt like the black sheep of their family. Um, and someone yeah, he who needs is... like some he needs a supportive group like, you know, what we do in the shadows. Like he needs, you know, to find his own <laughs> own way. Yeah. Well, you know, the problem in this movie is like you said, Martin is an incel and he's calling up this radio DJ uh, who is basically kind of egging him on. So he's basically, it's like he's being radicalized oh, into vampirism radio, by this yeah. radio DJ. <laughs> yeah, exactly. There is. Wow, and this prefigured uh, Rush Limbaugh. No. Yeah, and that is interesting yeah. <laughs> in, in the way that um, sort of the the radio disc jockey is complicit in the, uh, in, in the crimes of this vampire kid because, like, they know that he's, going out i mean they you must be able to connect the dots that this guy's calling in and being like oh, i don't know when i'm gonna do this again how much longer i can hold off before i kill again and also it's like oh you know couple in suburbia found drain of their blood that's interesting like well, someone has to way, put the like, two and two together 
either they're they're egging on someone that they believe is legitimately a killer or they're goading someone who is severely mentally ill. Right, yeah, which, I mean, take your pick. Which is the defensible position? Neither. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like, um, you know how there are, there are certain people online who will become, like, the, the focus of uh, an online mob and it happens with much more rapidity now because of the because people are the speed bored of, nothing to do yeah the speed of social media networks so you know it's like every day like there's a new twitter main character but um in the the slightly older internet you had people like chris chan who were literally like being egged on to do stupid shit by people who just wanted to point and laugh at them and it's not even intended to be a defensive Christian or somebody like that, but the, you know, kind of the, the ethics of taking a disturbed person and trying to see, trying to be like, oh, like, let's see what fucked up thing we can make them do now. Yeah. Like, the, yeah. the, the DJ yeah. and his audience um, kind of, well, they don't, they don't prefigure this notion. I mean, I think this is a thing which has uh, been present for a long time in human society like um as humans like we really love to point and laugh and scapegoat it's just that in in current times it's just the the pace of it has been tremendously accelerated because of the nature of social media yeah it's like the thing that i sent jen where yeah. it's like you know we've met the mob and he's us yeah so. and the other thing about martin which is um going back to something which Tim mentioned, which I can't quite remember in detail because uh, I have a mind like steel sieve, but it made me think about something that I actually think about a lot. And the character of Martin kind of embodies this, you know, because he is so stigmatized by his family, there's this intense belief in a family curse and people just don't like the kid or they terminally misunderstand him and he does go out and commit like really heinous acts it does make me think a lot about the kind of cases of of uh outrages or a crime that come that come as a result of someone living in an incredibly like just completely fucked family environment where someone has been severely abused from like a young age Mm -hmm. and they grow up to be a monstrous person. And those are the cases that are really disquieting to me because obviously when someone has committed a a truly heinous crime, you don't want, you don't just want to go like, oh, well, you know, like they had a fucked up childhood. So, you know, there obviously should be some kind of redress or healing for everyone affected and an effort to get that person help. But the thing that always occurs to me is like, did this person have a snowball's chance in hell of turning out normal? Yeah. It's like trying to uh, provide help at like the 11th hour. It isn't sort of preventative care. It's just like emergency care. That's all we can really provide. Cause it... yeah. So Jen, what you're, what, Jen, what you're saying is uh, that uh, we should just let sickos go. <laughs> I guess that's what you're saying, huh? Jen, you need to be tougher on crime. Uh, the the other vibe that I get from this character, you know, sort of like uh, Kyle Rittenhouse or, um, you know, either of the, like, Columbine killers where, yeah, there's mm. kind of these, like, marginalized, you know, like, loser dorks 
who then go on, you know, as part of their personal narrative to assert themselves by uh, killing people, allegedly. Well, I think that, like, I th- I feel like um, that, and you know, this is this is probably this probably just has a lot to do with my personal reaction to the character, but I feel that Martin is pretty far on the spectrum from um, more malignant individuals like that i mean i, I think know, that I they know. kind of exist in the same margins of society like that's what i'm saying true but like their their motives are extremely different like martin doesn't seem to kill with much well, he kills out of compulsion malice. yeah and i like you even wonder if he truly like understands what he's doing and you know that goes back to what i was saying about these these cases of really egregious abuse where like all the genetic switches and the lack of nurturing and circumstances have been flipped to the correct thing like the correct side to make a person like truly monstrous in you know the popular vernacular where it's like well like does this person even have the capacity to understand what they've done like there there's a podcast called this is actually happening where it is accounts of people talking about a traumatic event in their lives and one of the most popular episodes they did was an episode about someone who had a dissociative identity disorder which is incredibly rare disorder um it's not the it's not like the trendy thing that was so big and like isn't like having the tics 90s on with the yeah with the satanic panic or like um you know kids uh pretending that they have alters on on tiktok i think those kids have other problems like actual well, problem dissociative is not identity dis- <laughs> hey you're right problem is too much video too games. much reading actual dissociative identity disorder comes from like incredibly severe trauma at a young age for the most part and the person on this episode of the podcast had basically been sold and passed around from the time they were three by their parents which again is um as much as it looms large in the public imagination right now with QAnon and blah blah blah, i think it actually is like pretty rare but you know in these rare cases it does happen and with a person like that you wonder like how can you even approach being normal when everything about your environment from a young age has just been so distorted the people who are supposed to care for you have mistreated you so egregiously and you wonder like what martin's childhood was like you know if he was like like was he like a vampire child like how did this happen well he's, he's kind of born into a a framework uh where you know the family has you know, this uh, legacy, and also, you know, this is my, you know, headcanon, that, you know, there may be some genetic component to it as well. I mean, you know, you figure that people from a certain lineage all, you know, kind of are, you know, tend to, you know, look and act and react, you know, the same. You know, you're, you're brought up in mm-hmm. a kind of, in, in a certain family dynamic. So whether or not it is, you know, the curse of the vampire, you know, like if you want to dress it up, uh, you know, the way that uh, Tanta Kuda does, you know, if you want to couch it in 
language from you know the 1600s or however that the family uses to explain oh yeah this is the curse of the vampire like you can explain it that way or you can explain it as you know this is <clears throat> this is a kid who has you know the wrong genetic disposition for the mm-hmm. wrong environment you know it's he's got porphyria <clears throat> it it's well, nature and nurture working together against this kid and you know the curse mm-hmm. of the family is that yeah you're going to get some weirdos just because you know maybe they're more um inclined towards you know psychopathy and then eventually you know one is brought up in the right in, in the wrong environment and he develops these behaviors and so that is you know someone from you know the old country saying oh yeah by the way martin's gonna totally turn into a serial killer i mean vampire yeah. Well, that is interesting because um, Tanta Kuda uh, actually mentions, I think, the guy that, you know, has fingered Martin as the vampire is the senior vampire in the family, the the oldest living vampire who kind of, I guess, bosses everyone around and the rest of the family is scared to defy him or they'll incur his cursed wrath or something. Um, so it's like can be powerful. Yeah. Yeah, so it's kind of like, yeah, this guy's like, yeah, I can tell Martin's that, you know, game-recognized game. Um, <laughs> there's also the fact that they mention one of the other, uh, I guess, vampires in the family, that girl who who killed herself, which is kind of a, um, you know, c- kind of a chilling uh, po- portent, I guess. Like, oh, yeah, she's we, we fingered her as a vampire, too, and she killed herself to escape the curse. It's like, maybe she killed herself because you said she was a vampire. You know, I mean, you know, it's like there's a lot of cause and effect that are not very clear in this story. But, you know, yeah. And you can also kind of, you know, take a you can dress it up in other ways, too. Like, you know, if you're, you know, a gay uncle or something and you're like, yeah, that kid is gay. Like we knew forever. (laughs) Even though you don't know. But it's like, yeah, we know that you're going to have you're going to have problems growing up because of, you know, the situation that you find yourself in. I mean, maybe if Martin grew up in a different environment, like, you know, if you took him as being like a gay kid who doesn't realize it yet, and then, you know, mm-hmm. if you put him in like the wrong environment, yeah, like he, you know, he, he could, you know, or if he was trans or something, you know, he could, you know, end up killing himself or, you know, have just, you know, having a, a difficult life. But if you put him in the right environment, maybe they don't turn out that way. So it, I, it is an interesting allegory for people who are marginalized and have a bad fit with, you know their um their surroundings yeah well martin martin as we know this is goodbye rep because um... yeah <laughs> which is yeah why martin is such an interesting he's such a sympathetic character despite the fact that we see him kill like five people <laughs> he's just he's just trying to find his way in this crazy world you know? yeah again i'm saying like yeah i drink blood but that's not what i'm about yeah and plus i mean i think the fact that every time he tries to kill it just you know, he screws all up. You're kind of like rooting for him. Like, yeah. come on, Martin. You know, like yeah. when he's he's stalking at one housewife and he thinks, oh, her husband's gone. I'm going to get her. And he busts in and she's got like, you know, uh, yeah, she's, she's seen someone. Yeah, she's seen someone. So suddenly he's got to take down like two people at once. And I think that's actually is that Tom Savini, the special effects guy playing? Tom Savini is like the the, the deadbeat guy who is. um was a sister cousin oh that was him okay never never mind i didn't recognize Um, him i had to like look in the credits and i'm like yeah when i tom savini's in here but like where is he i i was kind of like he doesn't look like his caricature on the simpsons right yeah he doesn't look like he he doesn't look like an in like incarnate vampire hunter walking around (laughs) he just looks like some guy from jersey yep 
Um, but yeah, but it takes a long time. Uh, and uh, Martin is really, he's really, he's really working. I mean, he's really earning this bloodbath because, yeah. you know, he's, they've got him locked out of the house. He's running around like and these two victims. The yeah. Oh yeah. And plus these two victims are so obnoxious that it's hard not to root for Martin in this because, right. you know, he's just screaming the whole time, like call the cops. And she's like, I don't know the number. Like, yeah, Jesus and it's, Christ. <laughs> and it's interesting, too, because those characters are kind of in a bind, too, where it's like, why don't you get the cops over here? Yeah, let everyone know that I'm cheating on my husband. <laughs> it's like, we kind of can't involve other people. Let, you know, just, oh, it'd be like, oh, that's weird. Uh, the neighbors said that there's an ambulance taking a guy out of the place uh, the weekend that I was gone. You want to explain that to me? You're like, uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like, she's got she's got a, a you know comfortable suburban life that she doesn't want to explode for, you know, this... Uh, this dick that she's getting yeah uh, yeah it, it is also uh funny similarly in um i think it was hitchcock's frenzy where um you know where the, the uh the killer is in a similar situation where um like one of his victims grabs like a uh like a, a boutonniere or some kind of pin that he has and then like he you know he's in this frenzy i guess to uh to to retrieve it so that he doesn't get caught and the audience is similarly sympathetic, where they're just like, ah, Frenzy, what have you gotten yourself into this time? <laughs> <laughs> it Frenzy, like, my boy, you've done it again. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's, oh, no, how is, the, how is the manic serial killer going to get out of this one? Lovely. Yeah, yeah. it is. Well, Lovely. yeah, because um, Martin, again, when he got, when he, you know, he doesn't do the, uh, the blood as much when he's got the sexy stuff during the daytime, because... Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't get the shakes quite as much. Uh, but when he finally does and he goes to the city and it, it kind of goes all wrong, he ends up with the cops chasing him. He, 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 well, he gets into this like gambling ring or something. And then there's a shootout. I think eventually he just he accidentally some... stumbles into a black exploitation. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's another, I, think, I was going to say, eventually he just like bludgeons a couple of hobos, doesn't he? Right. Yeah. Because he's wandering around. Cause he's like, ah, oh, man, like I'm not. You know, I'm not so sure about this vampire thing anymore. It's like it used to be really easy, just like select a victim, you know, you know, fill up my syringe, bam, you know, I got my blood orgy. But now he's looking around, he's like, nah, I don't know, nah, nah, that one doesn't look that good. That one's not that pretty. Nah, nah. So he's just kind of stumbling around the city, and then he finds two two hobos, and you know, he bludgeons them to death, and you know, drinks their blood, and goes through the whole thing. He doesn't really seem that into it. I don't know. No, he's, he's no. just going through the motions. And then I think, like, the cops... That, yeah, okay, that does get a little fuzzy for me, too. The cops, like, know that he's around, or, like, there is, you know, this guy killing people, and so, like, they're after him. But then, yeah, he stumbles into, like, a Tarantino cast-off, you know, <laughs> movie. And that's great, too, because it sets up this, like, funny dynamic in the same way that, you know, he was gonna... He was just, he was just had the simple plan of killing you know a bored housewife and drinking her blood but instead he gets wrapped up in this whole affair and it's the same thing too where it's like look i just wanted to kill a couple of drifters but now there's this drug deal that you know he's uh you know, that he's queering and then the cops show up chasing him but now they get into a shootout with the drug dealer and the drug buyer and oh it just becomes a whole thing well, fortunately, the cops really fuck it up, too, and it ends up looking like one of Ace's livid videos. 
<laughs> yeah, it's well, for... I mean, what do you expect from what do you expect from fucking Pittsburgh cops? Right. <laughs> so yeah, and the climax, uh, like the climax of this movie is like a two minute action scene that ends up with everybody dying except for Martin. So again, like he gets off scot free. This yeah. guy who just killed two people in cold blood. He well, he's he disappears into the night like a vampire. <clears throat> um, I uh-huh. do like though he has to. Um, you know, he regroups in this public bathroom where there are these two derelicts just, I guess, taking shits while reading yeah, the newspaper. Yeah, up, whatever you do, yeah. I mean, they're sitting on the toilets, but I'm not clear yeah. if they're actually shitting. But um, It's a it's, really it's, informal restroom, yeah. Yeah, it's Pittsburgh, you know? I mean, it's to be expected. <laughs> it's just the um, culture. Yeah, yeah. Um, but... Um, yeah, it's uh, uh, so it's it's yeah. There's this big frenzied uh, action scene. The the ending to this movie comes so quick though. <laughs> right? Yeah. Well, well just... when he's in the he's in the restroom with like the two guys, and they're like, "Oh, you got to get yourself to Mexico. Like, if you want to if you want to beat this rap, you like you got to go south." And like that could very well be you know what happens because he's been calling into the radio show this whole time, being like, uh, "I can't. I don't know how much longer I can hold out." Um, and you know the audience is eating it up. He's you know becoming legendary. You know in in the way that like, um, what like uh, he's the count. Yeah, yeah, he's the count. You know, it's it's like um, they love uh, it when that? he goes one, uh, 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 <laughs> two. It, it's kind of like that, like that that movie with Patton Oswalt was that big fan. Um, yeah. Yeah. Or it's like you know he's calling in like every day or every night into this Colin show. You know to offer his like perspective on you know this uh. Uh, the sports team rivalry and you know same thing with the count like you know people are just eating up like this little story that he has but then you know the count disappears and it seems like oh he's gonna go to mexico because it's like yeah it's, it's getting too hot here he's like i'm getting sloppy you know the last you know couple of kills didn't go really smoothly like the you know i got the cops after me on the last one i can see how he's like yeah i need to get i need to relocate and i can see if you're a vampire if you're going out, you know, killing people every night, eventually, yeah, it gets a little, it gets a little too much for you. So you got to relocate, and it seems like that's that's where he's going. He's going to disappear again. Yeah, it's especially hard because he doesn't have any of the vampire powers. Uh, he specifically, you know, so he specifically says uh, it got it's got a lot easier with the needles, but it would be really cool if it was like in the movies and you could like make women do what you wanted. But he can't even do that. He says. So. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that is a great uh, like character kind of complaint that, that shows you know what is, you know what his status is. Like he can't even he can't even get women to do what he wants. He has to drug them and then have his way with them. Yeah, but um, but like the, the 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 interesting change to that though is that he does finally, I forget what what causes the change in him, but he does go to because he's he's a delivery boy, which means he gets to meet a lot of you know, bored housewives, a lot of, you know, uh, you know, women with, you know, nothing to do, you know, kind of neglected, which is no one to do. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. So he's got an in, in a lot of ways there. And, you know, he's kind of not sure of himself enough a lot of the time to like, not really act on it, but eventually, you know, he rocks up to, you know, one of his regulars and he's like, he's like, I know that you're, you want to, you want to have sex with me. So, you know, let's do that. Yeah, I I thought that was kind of that was uh, fascinating because, like you said, or or I think Jen said, he's kind of in some ways autism coded, mm-hmm. um, or or something. Because like there the points when he's talking to that woman where where he clearly they're not on the same level. Uh, he, she she seems because he thinks they're talking about vampirism, 
But like yeah. she's like, no, I'm talking about just like not having kind of like an inner life or an affect or something. And I wish I had what you had and you could just like turn turn your feelings off. And he thinks she's like, oh, yeah, that's true, because uh, he. Yeah, like I it just hit me because there is that. I'm sorry to interrupt no, no, you, on. Mike, but mm-hmm. like I just realized because there is that scene where um, like after they fucked, she's lying on the couch like in tears and he's completely confounded he's like why are you crying is it something i did yeah he thinks but, it's and him. yeah like he thinks that she's worried that he, that she's knocked up or something like that but i mean this is really a woman who's like crying over like the way that her whole life has gone yeah like you know she's very she's a very stunning woman but she's like you know completely alone and you know now she's fucking the delivery boy and she's probably thinking about like uh you know like was this a bad idea or whatever just like how did it come to this yeah yeah and then his reaction is so naive that she even says it she's like you know what i love i you know what i love about you martin is that you just don't have an opinion and it's true because like you uh, and you know this is an extrapolation but you imagine like the way that her husband probably is where he's probably like a more typical guy who is probably yeah they probably don't have a more, great relationship yeah yeah more and is probably more overtly masculine and probably like has opinions that you know he's perfectly happy to offer whether you want them or not um, or just for whatever reason, you know, you just kind of get saddled with like, you know, this home life in the suburbs and, you know, you're like, uh, you know, that Simpsons when, you know, they move to a nicer town and March has nothing to do because the whole place is, is automated. So what does she do? She yeah. sits there and, you know, drinks a bottle of wine and it's like, wh- what did my life come to? Yeah. Yeah. And because, um, and there are so many different ways that you could read Martin, I mean, there are probably a lot of different diagnoses that you could apply to the guy, but I think it's enough just to say that he is um, socially awkward and dissociated, and it could yeah. be, like, any number of reasons. Yeah, you don't he, need to, like, like, say that he's, autist, he's autistic just to be like, this guy, this creep is weird. Yeah, he's definitely, he's, he's, um, he marches to the beat of his own drummer, and he, he has trouble he goes, with people. He's a man um, going his own way, yes. Yeah, though the bit that I thought was interesting is when she's the the woman is like i want can you come and fix my my uh you know my fence and he's like you don't want me to fix your fence you want you're you want to have sexy times and it's like <laughs> wow he he read between the lines he's he's not he's not as socially inept as he seems to think he figured out the signals you know yeah he's just kind of a sad loser doesn't believe in himself like he can't make it with a normal woman but he can you know Go through the go through the whole thing of filling a syringe with a sedative and then killing someone and drinking their blood. Like that's his if, wheelhouse. Well, if only this was well, the I... uh, the cozy the cozy horror version of Martin. It could be a story about him finding the confidence to uh, yeah. to overcome uh, <laughs> his social awkwardness and be a a Chad vampire. Yeah, be, be the well, uh, real I... Dracula that he was meant to be. <laughs> and I think that I, lo- I love the expression a Dracula. It's so funny. <laughs> um, but I think it's important that as Martin gets like a modicum of social support, you know, like from his cousin who isn't, is, isn't just like, Oh, you're a vampire. She's like, you know, that's a bunch of bullshit. And actually, makes an effort to 
to speak to him and connect with him. And, you know, as he sees this kind of bored, lonely housewife, like, <clears throat> reaching out to him, it's, he does become, like, more self-actualized. And that's the kind of thing that genuinely helps people. Like, when you are no longer isolated and are able to connect with other human beings, you know, because we are, like, a social species, you know, it can, it goes a long way toward improving your mental health. But... I mean, yeah, and his, she gets you know, out too. Ta yeah, she and breaks the cycle. Um, and Tatakuda, like being of the old country, like what's his answer? Get a priest. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's it, thoughts and prayers. You know, it is like pray the gay away. When it's I, like, I have to say, I, I really love the uh, the modern priest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With his uh, helmet hair and you know smoking cigs. Yeah, yeah. Where uh, Tantakuda's like the devil is everywhere, and uh, he's all like, "So you see the Exorcist, man? That was something, huh?" <laughs> he's, he's the he's the pragmatic <laughs> religious figure. It's like, yeah, yeah, you know, God and the devil and demons, but it's like, hey, why don't you come to church and you know maybe sell some stuff at a yard sale to you know keep our doors open. Yeah. Why don't Why don't you rap with me? Yeah. yeah. One of those priests who's like, you know, God, it's really kind of a metaphor when you think about it. <laughs> well, no, that's exactly what I was gonna say. Like, you have, uh, you know, you have your old country people who take the Bible and and religious teachings like completely literally, and then the younger generation where it's like, oh, you know, all that stuff is a metaphor. Yeah. It's like, why don't you just be cool, man? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's like why. I say rap with me. It was very funny when uh, when he's like, yeah, you should talk to Father Zemeckis. He's really into that. And Tantakuda's like, Zemeckis, you say? And you can just see the wheels turning. He's like, it was great. I love that bit. So talk to um, this other old, weird, superstitious guy. Yeah. Though that, that exorcism doesn't really go very well. Um, it's, it's interesting because Martin's reaction is pretty deadpan at first. Um, mm -hmm. Which, yeah, yeah you know, it's kind of like, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's like being an adult and having your parents like you know throw like a kid's birthday party for you. It's, you're just kind of like, are you serious? Yeah. Are no, we seriously I was doing an exorcism? Of, it was interesting because I'm like, well, how how can there's no good way to react when this happens to you? Because no matter what you do, they're just gonna be like, oh yeah, clearly, you know, that's the devil <laughs> in you. You know, if you don't, if you sit there just yeah. not reacting, like yeah, the devil's making him do that. And if you play along and scream and jump around, it's like yeah, the devil. So it's like, what are you gonna do? Yeah, you know? it's a witch trial. Yeah, yeah, but um, yeah, it's the the specter of Regan McNeil. <laughs> but I think like this is what makes Martin like uh, chase Tantacuda around the playground with the vampire cape. Yeah, I think that comes after this bit. Yeah, um, yeah, it's after like, hey, you want me to be a vampire? Blah, you know. <laughs> <laughs> do the thing why is that why why is the old uh stereotype about vampires that they go bleh it, oh it's it... ahead, oh, sorry Mike. tim they don't do that anymore like post post twilight they certainly don't do that but why was that a thing in the 20th I, century it, I, always, went, bleh. I, I thought it was because like bella Lugosi, like uh, or i don't know if he actually yeah. did it but like people saying i want to suck your blood and I, it kind of just became a thing I, I thought oh, we yeah, already talked like about whole... this. It was a bad Bell Lugosi impression. Yeah, it's like how people thought uh, Cary Grant went Judy, 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 or whatever. <laughs> it's like, no, he never fucking said that. Or, you, you know, James Cagney never said, you dirty rat. Yeah. It's more people, um, what, do you, what do you call that? Uh, Mandala effect or something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. I it's guess. like how, did you know the end of Little Women doesn't say they were no longer little girls, they were now little women? <laughs> Moses no, like Odenkirk lied to me. Said that. Ah, my little women. 
<laughs> or um, say the or, line. Yeah, or to, say the line, Bart. <laughs> yeah, or like uh, it isn't Luke. I'm your father. Like he doesn't even say Luke in it. So yeah, he says no. I am your yeah, father. So you know, Scotty never says beam me up. What? Yeah. I know, right? Oh, it turns out vampires aren't even magic. They're just uh, a storied history of uh, serial killers. There's there's just... serial killers with panache. <laughs> I mean, kind of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that we didn't get a chance to touch on earlier that I like about the um, you know the maidens that he seduces because the uh, like the the black and white classic movie monster uh, trope that carries you know through the whole movie is. You know, sort of his his fantasy about like you know I'm seducing this maiden, I'm hunted by villagers, you know I'm this uh, you know rakish outcast. But like the women in it are sort of if you needed to come up with a vampire mythology using you know a a depressed you know East Coast town on in the 70s, um, like it seems like that's how you would present victims to this vampire. It's like. Where do you find like an unguarded, desperate woman? Like it isn't some you know woman who's like easily seduced. It is the it is a bored housewife, and I just love them. Yeah, you, know, you know I love George Romero recontextualizing the vampire for the sort of you know depressed, bored suburban um, you know housewife. Yeah, because Martin isn't the only character in this movie who's isolated and friendless right yes yeah. it's, it's kind of a condition of the culture that he lives in yeah, yeah and and it is it doesn't have like the same you know romance like going back to what you're saying earlier about you know coppola's dracula of you know it isn't you know winona Ryder, you know pleading take <laughs> me away from all this death you know it, <laughs> it is a housewife being <laughs> being like ah, i wish i could you know feel like you you know i wish i wish i could you know be like how you are you yeah, know, where you can just uh, kind of turn it off. It's George Romero's The Feminine Mystique. Yeah. <laughs> uh, George Romero's My Secret Garden. <laughs> that reminds me of a uh, a book that I I had as a teenager, which was kind of like, um, for me, it was like, you know, baby's first sociological study. And I wish I could remember the title of it because it was part of it was very much in the in the vein <laughs> vein of martin oh. um because it was an explication of um the origins of the vampire myth and you know how these things came about in the old country kind of the way that vampires were conceptualized back at the time and how they slowly evolved into these uh you know very sexy creatures in the in the 20th century your bella lugosi is your um, Frank Langella's what have you and <clears throat> the yeah the second half of the book was case studies basically of people who had adopted vampirism um, on reflection like as a kind of coping mechanism because the cases that I remember from it these were very deeply traumatized people who did the vampire thing because um, you know, it was a way of escaping into a fantasy or feeling like they re had regained like a bit of control in a chaotic life or something like that, which is maybe what Martin is doing is, I th and I think 
Tim might have said it where it's like, oh, okay, you you think I'm a vampire, I'll be a fucking vampire. Yeah, it's like, yeah, I guess if that's what you want me to be, you know, if, if someone tells you, you know, you're you're broken or damaged or, you know, a weirdo or a freak or something, it'd be like, yeah, that seems to be the consensus. And you just kind of fall yeah, into that because, role. Yeah. And, you know, with the, the whole vampire mythos, especially now being, like, profoundly sexualized, like, with um, sex being such an intrinsic part of the human experience, it was really common to like the case studies in this book where for these people, uh, vampirism was definitely a, a sexual thing. It, it was part of their sex play or, or, or fetish in much the way that, uh, for Martin, um, for the most part, you know, barring, you know, like the hobo attacks that he makes out of desperation, mm-hmm. The need for blood is completely tied up with the need for sex as well. And in fact, when he starts, you know, when he finally starts getting awake pussy, you know, <laughs> he feels like he's not, he, he doesn't feed as often. Yeah, it's it's fulfilling some kind of need, which, you know, he is uh, displaced onto this, uh, you know, need to kill or need for blood, which, you know, requires killing someone. Yeah. Mike, you uh, you've you've drunk dabbled blood. in, you <laughs> dabbled in being a vampire. Yeah. Uh, he's more of he's more of a witch though, folks. Um, I yeah. I just don't like getting up early. That's that's my excuse. <laughs> Although you do like sleeping in a box filled with dirt. <laughs> <laughs> that you know. Tim's like, hey, as long as I can do it for sixteen hours of a stretch, I'll sleep wherever. Yeah, I will sleep in dirt if it means I get you know, a. Twice the normal amount of sleep. That's fine with me. <laughs> Uninterrupted, yeah. baby. Oh, but um, so Mike, what I was going to say because you are, you are a person who has uh, dabbled a lot in uh, mythology and folklore as uh, part of your own writings and and comic work. Um, have you read much about these kinds of cases in real life where people? were acting out a vampire fantasy um not too many i've seen a, a couple um and it's usually kind of um it, it's it's the ones i i remember reading was i think the uh vampire sacramento i i, mm-hmm. I cannot remember uh many of the details other than that name but i think it was like a guy at a boarding house was like oh yeah i'm gonna just like go out and and uh, kill people and drink their blood. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of, um, from what I've seen, a lot of these these vampire fantasies, there's kind of, there's a sexual element as well as this kind of, um, th- this, the idea that, like, the which I think is not just in vampire killers, but also in vampirism, just that blood is life. It's the mm-hmm. life force. You know, it's, it's, an, it's an obvious, and it's a, it's a very obvious idea because it's like, oh, you're losing your blood. You're dying. I wonder if those are connected. You know, maybe if I got more blood in me, I could live more, perhaps even be immortal. So, you know, it's, um, you know, and th- that's an idea that, that pops up a lot when people get into like vampire killing. Um, and it's like, well, that makes sense because that's literally what a vampire does. It drinks your blood so it can continue live more, continue living forever. Yeah, because I think the case with uh richard chase the vampire sacramento was that he had a delusion that his his own blood was turning into powder and the only way to stop that was to find victims sometimes there were animals but unfortunately as 
his mental illness progressed, he began attacking people. Yeah. Do you remember what was that movie we saw? Those the great the vampires, the 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 loneliness of wolves. You remember that one? Um, the two the two I don't know the two gay vampires in in uh, Germany. They were trying to sell I don't watches. Remember that one? They were just trying to sell For a watches. Minute, I thought you were going to bring up um, Life Force. No, as, no, uh, that was that was good. <laughs> that was much. Was, uh, Mike and I just talked about Life Force on uh, a very good podcast. Uh, we would, I would even call it our sister podcast called Saucer Cinema. I believe that episode will be out very soon. Well, I mean, not better yes. than us. <laughs> well, no, I mean we are the gold standard. That's but true. Yeah. If. For whatever reason, you you have tired of listening to every one of our episodes on repeat. You might want to check out uh, Saucer Cinema, hosted by Alex. Yeah, it's a good show. Check it out. It is. Um, I highly recommend the episode where Mike talks about visiting uh, Eric Von Daniken's theme park. Oh, yeah, that's a good one. I like it because I was mm-hmm. on it. <laughs> that makes sense, yeah. But no, what was this other movie you were talking about? Um, I think it was called The Loneliness of Wolves. Um, it was vaguely based on uh, the uh, some some one of these uh, one of the serial killers I think who was like also dubbed the Vampire of something. Uh, I think it mm-hmm. was uh, Fritz Harman, Vampire of a German town of some name, uh, and he was I don't know operating in I think right after the first First World War and, and you know abducting uh, you know transients to uh to to murder and to fuck murder and uh drink blood you know that old game fuck murder fuck blood murder drink. kill yeah yeah uh, oh the tenderness of the wolves and that's actually um that was actually produced by um Rainier Werner Fossbinder oh that's the one yes um, now I remember that. Yeah, I remember watching that at uh, at your old place. Yeah, it's incredibly. It's like it's like oh, you want to watch two two gay guys like just hang around in like train stations and like try and sell watches to randos, and occasionally they kill someone. But like, there's really all things considered, that movie is extremely slow. There's not enough fucking and not enough yeah. killing. Just watch with nail. It's and no. I. It's no apart. It's no apartment zero. That's true. That's true. I mean, that one didn't even have any blood in it, but... It's a banger, though. Yeah. So but... he's this creep, the you know, this marginalized figure. Um, he has his, uh, his fuck buddy, and uh, she kills herself. She slits her own wrist trying to drink her own blood. Which oh, is that not... what she was doing? Well, she had a glass and a razor. Oh. Yeah. I, I didn't draw that connection. That's, that's actually... That's... Yeah, I mean, that's yeah, the way I, I saw thought, it. Yeah, I thought that what she... I thought um, she had just done the kind of thing that Martin staged at the beginning of the film, which is uh, he made it look like a suicide with pills and whatnot. I assumed that she had swallowed a bunch of pills and sliced her wrist in the bathtub. Yeah, that's what I thought. But I like the idea that she was she because she was talking about how she wanted to have what Martin had. So yeah, so that that's what I got out of it. I mean, I could be incorrect, but uh, but yeah, so she kills herself in a vampiric way. Which, you know, an encounter with a vampire can go one of two ways. You can either be killed or be made a vampire. So that mm. was that was my interpretation. You know, it might be incorrect. It might it might have been staged. It might have just been her killing herself just, you know, to kill herself. But yeah, that that's that she she commits suicide, but the unfortunate irony in all this is that it gets pinned on Martin. You know, uh, uh, Tantakuda says, I told you, don't kill anyone in the city, and you went and killed someone in the city. Now I have to destroy you. And the, you know, penultimate scene of the movie is 
Martin getting a stake driven through his heart by Tantakuda. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, like you said, it is kind of abrupt. We had, you know, that that scene of him getting away scot free from, you know, the the cops and the drug deal and the the hobo murder, which is it's it's a tight scene. It, it's uh, reminds me of, or maybe it was what inspired the, um, uh, you know, the the donut shop scene towards the end of Boogie Nights. It's you know you have the, the <laughs> oh, one character who's like just in the thick of it, and they they manage just by happenstance to get out, but then. You know, he lives, you know, the rest of the day and then Tanakuda stakes him. <laughs> yeah, and buries him in the backyard and Owned. just throws grass seed on, <clears throat> on top of him. Buries and... him with a cross so he can't come back to life. All the superstitions, you know, persist. But then the great thing is that, um, and this is a theme that we've encountered a couple of times already. Um, you know, it is said very elegantly in Crash, you know, about the fate of, um, of James Dean where, you know, he, he died and became immortal. Uh, we see that same thing with uh, the other film that we reviewed recently, Town That Dreaded Sundown. There's the phantom killer who was never caught, who now only exists mm-hmm. in legend. In, you know, in this movie, in 77, there was a, you know, guy who, you know, calls himself Dracula, calls into a radio show, but then ah, he stopped calling. But we never really found out what happened to him. So he, yeah. yeah, in the same way, he kind of disappears into legend. And I really feel like uh, what would end up happening is that you know thirty, thirty, thirty or thirty five years would go by. Tantakuda would be long dead. The house would be sold, mm-hmm. and they would, when they were renovating the house and digging up the old lawn, they'd come across poor Martin's skeleton. They'd do a DNA test. And they'd be like, wait a minute, what the fuck? Right, yeah. They'd be like, the DNA says this bitch is 100% vampire. (laughs) (laughs) He tested positive for vampirism. Uh, Yeah, and then there would be be an uh, an oxygen or investigation discovery limited series about uh, the... The oh, Braddock, yeah. Pennsylvania vampire. Oh, I can't wait. Vampire. I can't wait to hear about this on Somebody Knows Something. <laughs> <laughs> Last podcast on the left. Uh, I also like too that you know when they're when they're playing the you know the radio uh, 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 the the you know the DJ taking you know calls over you know over Tondakuda um, you know seating the the ground over uh, over Martin's grave. That at the end, there's, you know, this, like, creepy little voice that it's like, oh, I know where he is. And it's like, it, it is kind of a, you know, um, it is a a frame of porn sliced into the end of Fight Club. You know, it is, um, uh, you know, uh, Andy Coffin's, you know, writing partner watching, um, uh, you know, Tony Clifton on stage at the end of, you know, Man in the Moon. Yeah. It is being like, oh, like, this guy's you know, still out there in the zeitgeist, you know, in some, in some form or another. So he doesn't, he doesn't really die. And I think that that's a great ending despite, you know, the, the movie kind of um, undercutting its theme by just like, oh yeah, this character that we, you know, spent all this time with. Oh yeah. Then he gets brutally murdered suddenly. (laughs) Yeah. It's a very short and brutal end. And it comes just as Martin is, sort of starting to come to an understanding like he says to the yeah. he says to the dj you know like you um i forget how he puts it but he's like you know you live your life and you know you adapt to it and he doesn't have a chance to break out the way that his 
cousin Christina did because you know his you know fucking Tantacuda well, yeah, just has like no support him to the bed. Network. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, because even you know his you know cousin sister niece whatever you know she she mentions like you know this isn't a forever relationship with this guy like he's he's a means to an end he is my way of of getting out like I'm not gonna marry yeah. this guy but I am using him to get get out of this fucked up situation Martin doesn't have any recourse like that you know unless he wants to like you yeah. know live in the guest house of one of these lonely housewives but I don't I don't see that happening. <laughs> there is only the desert for you. Right. Yeah. I, I do like how every time Martin goes to kill someone, you know, it's like he fucks it up. It's this long process um, and everything. But when Tantacuda goes to kill someone, bam, he's dead. It's just... <laughs> That's, that is experience on your side. Yeah. And yeah. you know what? That is why tradition and old fashioned common horse sense are so important. You know, because when hunting vampires, you yes. know, <laughs> yeah, like you know, it's not like these these fucking Tumblr vampire hunters who are all about oh, like you know, here's my multicolored vampire hunter flag that says <laughs> I'm a I'm an ace a romantic vampire hunter. Yeah, I'm a vampire ally. Yeah, the old the in the old country they just staked a motherfucker and they were done with it. Yeah, you don't you don't waste a lot of time like gaslighting. Or gatekeeping these vampires, you just stake them. <laughs> and also, you know, it's the Gordian knot. Why can't why can't you find a job in Braddock, Pennsylvania? Why don't you go to the offices and ask to talk to the boss? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that you could get a job. A that firm way. handshake, look them in the eye. <laughs> you know, they'll be they'll happily pay you two dollars and thirteen cents an hour. I think they'll appreciate your moxie. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Yeah, like the the. The, I, I, what I love about this movie is how it is so wedded to its time and place in a way that is really like, you know, a lot of movies are dated and this movie is certainly dated, but it's, it's like the fact that this is Braddock, Pennsylvania in the mid seventies, I feel is very important and it encapsulates, um, Dare I call it malaise? <laughs> mm. <laughs> to use a to use one man's word for it, just kind of that that gritty, grainy despair of the '70s. Like you know, just post Watergate, like everything fucking sucks. Nobody's happy. Like this town is desaturated as fuck. Um, our producer said that this movie was uh, had a two hundred fifty thousand dollar budget, but he lied, and it's only a hundred thousand dollars. Um, true story, by the way. <laughs> um, so, so this is why it was shot in like the crew's home. Like this is why it has everything has a very lived-in appearance. Yeah, and I, 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 I love that. I don't like movies that look of any. Um, it's more a problem uh, nowadays. But well, everything is kind of sort of stylized of any, retro look to them. No, movies of any age that look set dressed. Or like, um, right. you know, a movie that I really didn't care for, but I thought the production design and costuming were excellent is um, Steven Spielberg's Munich. Like that movie looked like it; they made it in the fucking 70s. I don't know exactly how they did it. And, you know, this movie, like inextricably tied to its time and place, it is just so apt even like more than 40 years later. Right. Yeah, yeah. 
I mean, it's it's one of those movies that's um that's so uh, that, that's so tied to a specific place and time that it becomes timeless, you know, like it's, it's not trying to be anything. It's not. Yeah. It, it, it does exist within a particular context, you know, like Jenna's saying. And yeah. And also because, <clears throat> um, Martin's circumstances are <clears throat> so timeless. The movie is still relatable. Um, I mean, yeah, it's the, like, it's like if you had to invent a vampire in the mid seventies, like this is what it would look like. Yeah, and the Mart, I'm sure the Martin of today would be on Reddit. He definitely strikes me as a Reddit guy um, <laughs> before his time, um, but he would still have kind of the same problems, I think. Because and because like so many people are alienated today, that's why it still yeah, resonates. it's still it's, it's very you know prescient and it's still relatable because you know he's this just kind of this random loser guy with like this you know shit job who you know lives with you know family still and you know he's like just trying to get laid you know trying to like find you know he doesn't really you know talk or go out or have any friends like yeah that's just a you know there are a lot of people like that who aren't even vampires they just have this you know uh you know he needs to uh he needs to bootstrap himself up yes (laughs) (laughs) well one thing that i want to tell the audience before we conclude is that um there is a very nice transfer of this on youtube right now um i could not find it on streaming but hey you know go over to youtube and check out that unofficial yeah get it while you can yank it down because as it turned out they were hoping to do this this year but um i guess the restoration is taking a little longer than they um originally estimated they're doing this um they are restoring martin for 4k and they are expecting that it will be out in early 2022 that'll be great so, to see uh, the one, one yeah. of the funny things too that i like about the youtube video <clears throat> is that the person who uploaded it in the description describes it as problematic lol it's just like you nitwit who has like no concept of like nuance or criticism be like i don't know the character in this kills women i'm just saying it's like kind of toxic yeah they still they still uploaded the whole thing and there's no they didn't make a video essay about how martin embodies toxic male entitlement to women's bodies so I'm not. I'm, well, that would know, require I'm not work. Slam this yeah. person. Like, I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna knock this person who uploaded Martin for for me to enjoy. So I'm gonna knock them on that. I'm gonna that. knock them on a personal level of having stupid opinions. <laughs> for all I know, they were kidding because you know, like they did see LOL. Yeah. Oh. That is a pretty funny way of conceptualizing the stuff that Martin does. Is like, oh, uh oh, problematic. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, yeah, that is a, a meme of the uh, the cartoon figure with like the middle of the head caved in. <laughs> Which is what you think of like they're watching it and they see him just start raping and murdering. They're like, Mm-mm, nope, nope. Yeah. Mm-mm, oh, mm-mm. I can't. I can't endorse this because by presenting it, I implicitly endorse it, as everyone knows. Yeah, well, that's how art works. Yeah, you can't say something without like being in favor of it. <laughs> I do. Have, well, yeah, Mike... I do have to give props to uh, Romero for his concept and his script. Um, I I love the way that you know the the mechanics of you know the the 
the two you know murder scenes um the two murder kind of set pieces um i just love the holy macaroni i'm sorry tim but the original cut of this was 165 minutes damn what the hell else is in there how many other people does he kill Maybe more of him fucking Mrs. Santini. Well, they probably we see that mm, lush seventies well, well. bush. Oh yeah, yeah, you do. It's the fur bikini. You, you do see. Um, there's kind of a montage where you know, he provides his thesis statement at the end, where it's like, you know, like I, I, I see you people and I see what you do, and they they kind of trim that down into like, oh, he's gonna kill all these other people who like he had a problem with. Oh yeah, because that that old bitch yells at him in the deli. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, he you know, killed her. lazy kids these days. Which again, like, where are we now? Um, yeah, he's like, I know what people do. I watch them a lot, and I, and I know what they do. So yeah, whether it's you know shitty people at the deli, or if it's you know uh, bored housewives cheating on their husbands, he's like, you know, I'm not the only monster here. So yeah, yeah. in the same way that you know him running into this you know, drug deal, it's like, what you know, uh, archetypal monsters do might those represent? There, there are great ways that you can, you know, explain, you know, modern problems in this sort of myth, mythological context. It's, yeah, it, it's really interesting. <laughs> I don't know how else to, to describe it. Like just to recontextualize these things, you know, in a modern environment, um, really adds a, as an interesting new angle to it. I mean, even, you know, that his weapon of choice is, you know, piercing a vein, just like a vampire would. It's great. Yeah. Good stuff. This George Romero, he's going places. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did go somewhere to the grave. Ah, uh, rest in peace, King. Yes. Um, Mike, before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to promote? Um, go check me. Go yes. Go on, hey, go, on, go on Twitter. Hey, go on Twitter. Just follow Mike. Yeah, everyone follow me at Bitter Corella and also uh, check out at Midnight underscore Pals for jokey japes about horror writers. And George Romero appears in there sometimes. Very accurate. That's right. (laughs) 